just today, I was reading news about a humpback whale that appeared in San Francisco Bay. Uh, They saw a humpback whale um, feeding on anchovies in the bay. Now, a couple of the officials that were uh, (laughs) talking about this. Yes. I mean, if you're going to go get anchovies, you might as well go to San Francisco. The whale knows what's going on, right? That's where you go to get Italian food. You go to San Francisco. (laughs) So what was interesting, though, Wayne, this is, yeah, what was fascinating was that the, the researcher who was, they were speaking to some official person who knows about whales, he said, this whale is early. Welcome to this episode of Good Heavens, a podcast about the universe with Wayne and Dan. Good Heavens is a podcast examining and appreciating the wonders of the cosmos from a biblical perspective, designed for education and wholesome entertainment for the whole family. From the most distant galaxies to the strangest stars in the universe, Wayne and Dan cover a wide variety of cosmological and astronomical topics as they point to the glory of God in Christ. Here are your hosts, Wayne Spencer and Daniel Ray. Let's go back to talking about the Jewish calendar a little bit. Yeah, let's because uh, that's where we're going to focus. The mm-hmm. the Jews in the time of Christ, they um, they counted their days from sunset to sunset, and so that has to do with when your months are going to begin and end. Right. And the way you determine or define a day is going to determine how you count months, how the days of the month. I think the the practice of counting from midnight to midnight. So we do what we to do do today with a day. We count days from midnight to midnight, and I think that started with the Romans. I'm not certain, but the Jews did it from sunset to sunset. So uh, during the last week of Christ, he, he was crucified on a Friday. Then there's there's things in the New Testament that indicate that because they called it Preparation Day. The the Passover started in the evening. Mm-hmm. And so they would eat their Passover meal in the evening, which to us, we would call it Friday evening. But that was the beginning of a new day to them because it was after sunset. Right. So right. before sunset, on that same on that same Friday before sunset, they would be... Uh, sacrificing the lambs, and they would be getting all their 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 lamb uh, meat ready. They would be preparing their meal. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, this factors in to the whole sequence of things that happened around uh, the last week of Christ, and uh, some some questions that people sometimes raise about the New Testament. So, uh, Dan, should we we should perhaps mention briefly. There's a book that we've been going through about this called The Mystery of the Last Supper. Yes. And you've been reading this, right, Dan? Absolutely. It is a um, a great book by uh, Colin J. Humphreys, The Mystery of the Last Supper, Reconstructing the Final Days of Jesus. And um, Dr. Humphreys um, presents uh, a way in which he thinks you can reconcile 
uh, what, because he takes on the discrepancy, what is, what is not a secret, that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it looks like the Last Supper is a Passover meal. And in John, um, it looks like Jesus was crucified, that the, the Last Supper was, was not a Passover meal. And so there seems to be a discrepancy about time that involves a lot of calendrical uh, chess playing. But uh, Dr. Humphreys outlines a pretty clear case for how he thinks you can reconcile um, the, the uh, synoptic accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke with the Johannian accounts with the Gospel of John and how they are not in contradiction. Um, but this is based on a conception of, of perhaps what calendars were being in use, um, and, and so he takes a good look at that and, and does it breaks it down in pretty good language. And whether you agree with him or not, uh, this is probably one of the best arguments using the calendar system that I've ever read on this topic. And so it's a great book. We would uh, I think it's fascinating, and I, it's a really worth reading. Uh, yes, yeah. Now, um, so there were multiple calendars. Multiple calendars were were in use at the time of Christ. And it looks like, and so this has pertinence to the Gospels because, Dan, you would know this, but the book of John was written years after the other three Gospels, Mm -hmm. probably 20 or 25 years later or something, Mm -hmm. maybe more. So uh, it's not impossible that John could have been kind of thinking according to a different calendar. Right, it could be. Yeah, it could the be. Others. And that's giving away a little lot, lot of it. So this is all spelled out in a lot of details yes, in the yes. book. But there are a lot of things. It's not just, uh, it's not like a conspiracy theory, tinfoil hat sort of thing. It's very well researched, very well thought out. And uh, there's some stuff in there that, that's, that all scholars agree on. He does a lot of, gives you a foundation for the argument and and what people have looked at. One of the things that I appreciated, I kind of knew this, but it was good to see it again in in a different way. Um, He was talking about the way, even the way the Jewish days were different. And um, a day and a night in, and this is on page uh, 23, he talks about the differences about what would count as a day and a night. A day and a night in the Jewish time reckoning in in Jesus' day was an onah or an onah. Um, and a portion of that was the whole. So if a day and a night, uh, if it was only part of a day and a night, it was still considered a day and a night. So he outlines that from Jesus's death at 3 p.m. on Friday to sunset Friday is the first day. Sunset (laughs) Friday to sunset Saturday is the second day. And sunset Saturday to the resurrection before sunrise on Sunday is the third day. And so when you recognize you reckon by Jewish time in the first century, right. this totally makes sense. And there is no contradiction. And, you know, the other thing he brings up is that, you know, here we are 2,000 years later after several calendrical changes, and we look at the Gospels and say, well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke have this, and John has this. But to the original audience, this was not an issue because they probably knew more about timekeeping. Well, I'm sure they did in that time period than we do. And so it's not like it's a contradiction we we can't resolve. Yes. It is the ancient world had more information available to them than we do 2,000 years later because if this was a problem in the early church, 
they would not have included the Gospel of John if John got this time wrong. So there is there is a, a good job here done by Dr. Humphreys in trying to piece together the missing links for how you could reconcile John with the Synoptic Gospels. Yes, and uh, so in the time of Christ, this was very surprising to me because I never thought about this until I read his book. But there were Jews at the time of Christ that were celebrating Passover on at least three different dates because— of the different calendars that were in use. There was the official date, then the official Jewish calendar, and then there were at least two other calendars in use by Jews, not counting the Julian calendar. So the Julian calendar was the Roman calendar, and historians tend to date things with the Julian calendar. Uh, And here, oh, here's a little tidbit, Dan, that you might not know a lot about. I'm kind of experienced with software and I work in the software world. We live in a technological world, right? Yes. Here we are doing podcasts. Right. <laughs> computers, computers and phones and software does a lot of, there's various time operations and date, uh, time between dates. Mm-hmm. And, and the engineers came up with ways of converting Julian dates into uh Numbers are like three or four different ways of turning a Julian date into a number that is a a large uh, integer number with with a decimal. Sometimes it uses a decimal, sometimes it doesn't. And mm. usually it's measuring the number of seconds from some ancient date. So and it's a big, a big number of seconds. And they do that so that you can easily figure out the time between two times, the time elapsed. Oh, wow. So Julian dates are still used. Julian dates are still used in, com- in the computer world for conversions of times. Wow. Um, that, that's kind of a short way to put it. So there, if you can go on uh, Wikipedia, and I think there's a page they have about Julian Day, and you can see a whole list of all the various computational date systems that convert from Julian dates and other ways of doing it. Mm. Even Microsoft came up with a, um, a, a date dating number system that uses counts of 100 nanosecond time intervals. Wow. <laughs> so apparently they wanted a real precise time measure for figuring out elapsed yeah. times or something. Yeah. I'm not sure, but. Yeah. So there's, well, so even the even the ancient calendars have turned into modern modern things with modern applications. Wow, that's amazing. You know, it's 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 fascinating to me, Wayne, that we just take our calendars and, you know, quote, knowing what time it is for granted. You know, I wake up in the middle of the night, I look at the clock, it's two o'clock, I get up, I know it's not March seventeenth, it's March eighteenth tomorrow. I can just glance at my calendar. I know uh the other night uh, as we were talking about this, it was really interesting because the other night uh, it was, uh, I forgot what night it was, maybe Sunday, it was Saturday maybe, uh, up over the barn just after sunset. Uh, you've been out to my house. I live in a barn apartment. But the sky was in that sunset twilight and just above the horizon, just above the barn, uh, was a sliver of the waning crescent. I think it was just the brand new sliver uh, of, of that waning crescent. And, and I was thinking to myself in preparing for this podcast, I'm like, that's how the ancients started a new month. 
by seeing the new moon sliver hanging in the sky at twilight. And as soon as you saw that, uh, that began uh, the new month. And of course, we call this the, it's now in the waxing crescent phase. That means the crescent now is getting brighter and brighter. And then it will be a full moon. And then the full moon will begin to, well, as it goes from a crescent, it goes from a crescent to a gibbous. And then it gets, a gibbous gets larger. It's called a waning gibbous. It's named after you, right? Waning gibbous. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it wanes. It gets bigger to, to the full moon. No, I'm sorry. Excuse me. It's a waxing gibbous when it gets bigger. It's a waxing gibbous. And only when it gets smaller, it's going back down to its new moon phase. It wanes. It goes down and decreases in size. Yeah, waning is get, wanes getting smaller. Waning so, smaller, right, yeah. not bigger. Sorry, that's that's true. <laughs> but it was really neat <laughs> to see. And, you know, you take it for granted. But it was really neat to see this new crescent moon over the barn at twilight. And just to be reminded that this, to an ancient person, this this was the beginning of a new month. And I thought to myself, well, this is strange because here we are in the middle of the month. And according to what's going on in the sky, if this was the ancient world, this would be the beginning of a new month, you know, according to what I just saw. Yes. But because of all these calendrical right. variations and we wanted to have our calendar stay in touch with what is going on in the sky so that on the 21st of March, the vernal equinox, the beginning of spring, the sun is always where it should be. And the calendar is always where it should be. And we want to keep the 21st, the beginning of spring, because that is when the sun is at the center of its journey back to the north. So if you saw the eastern horizon where the sun rises, the sun travels from the south from December 21st all the way up into the northernmost part, uh, the summer solstice. But in between that uh, winter summer solstice is the spring equinox and the fall equinox. And so now the what's going on in the sky actually matches our little calendar boxes down here on Earth. So that's a convenient thing, but we take that for granted. You know, we don't even think about it. But I thought, how cool, if I was living 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, that little crescent I saw over the barn a couple of days ago would have been the beginning of a new month. So it's kind of cool. That's, that's right. So all of this is just worth thinking about, uh, all the things we take for granted and uh, it's after long years of, um, of trial and error, more and a lot of error, <laughs> a lot <laughs> of human of error. error. Yes, yes. Uh, it, it, with calendars, <laughs> before before we've come to a good working calendar, and even and even today. Uh, so, for example, I think it's the Eastern Orthodox people, Dan, that still follow the Julian calendar, right? And they actually celebrate Easter on a different date, right? As right. a result of that, and the 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 Russians didn't adopt the Gregorian calendar until the Russian revolution of eight, 1918. I didn't, wow. know, that. I didn't um, know that, but you're right. The, the Eastern Orthodox kept the Julian calendar. I think uh, some of them still do. Um, there are places where people are doing Christmas in January, if you would, but that would be, if you ever go to a place where they're doing Christmas in January, they're doing a Julian calendar. Um, there may be a couple of places throughout the world where this is still going on. I don't know for sure. But it's something to look into. But anyway, the, this time thing and this calendar thing is fascinating. And uh, we wanted to, uh, Wayne and I wanted to turn you on to this book uh, as it's coming upon Easter. Spring will be here. We're recording this on the 17th of March. We just missed the Ides of March. 
Uh, but on the 21st, in just a few days um, from the day we're recording, will be spring. And then Easter will be coming around uh, soon. And so just to go back to how we determine Easter now is fascinating in and of itself. And it, and it basically, it's, it's after all this configuration and thinking about it and trying to figure out when is the date of Easter? Why can't we just put the date of Easter like Christmas, make it the 25th? Um, because it has something to do with the moon. So now officially what we do is it is Easter is the first Sunday after spring and after the full moon. So we have spring, then we have the full moon, and then the following Sunday is Easter. So we have to have spring first, which is March 21st. Then we have the full moon, and then that Easter, that Sunday that comes after the first full moon is Easter. That's why Easter always so, changes. Dan, what you're, what you're calling spring, that's the vernal equinox, right? Right, yes, 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 first day of spring. That's a certain place in Earth's orbit. That's correct. Um, certain place in the orbit that's spring. Mm-hmm. And it's the tilt of the the twenty three and a half degree tilt of the Earth's axis toward the sun as we go around the sun. The Earth is tilted at twenty three and a half degrees, and as we spin and as we rotate on our axis and revolve around the sun, that's what gives us our seasons. North America is tipped toward the sun during summer and it is tipped away from the sun during winter and that is why if you go to south america in december it will be hot because december in our time period is their summer because the southern hemisphere of the planet is turned toward the sun tilted toward the sun but those in between spots where the earth where where we're going in between our seasons are uh, spring and fall so where our tilt is not exactly facing you know in the summertime um, I'm not explaining this very well, but uh, <clears throat> no, but the good. seasons are in relation to the astronomical astronomical position of our planet being tilted toward the sun as it goes around uh, it goes around the sun. Right, and uh, that's just a fascinating uh, affirmation. Now that we know all the science that that even the ancients didn't know, uh, that's a fantastic affirmation of of Genesis and uh, and the regularity that God has put in the heavens to give us times for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Wayne, I wanted to wrap up with with a funny story. Well, it's not funny, but it is it is fascinating to me. And it's kind of funny. Um, just today, I was reading news about a humpback whale that appeared in San Francisco Bay. Okay. Now, that's not terribly unusual, yeah, the bay. Now, if you've never been to San Francisco, you know the Golden Gate Bridge. The, the Golden Gate Bridge is uh, the division, if you will, between the Pacific Ocean and San Francisco Bay. So it's a very narrow opening. I mean, you'd think the bridge is big, but really as bays go, it's a very narrow opening. And the bay is very shallow. They actually have trenched out areas for ship traffic uh, because the bay is largely shallow. It's a very shallow inlet of water. I used to, if you go to the San Francisco Bay Area, they call it the Bay Area, communities in and around the bay. I lived in Palo Alto. I lived in Castro Valley. I lived on both sides of the bay. And the South Bay is Sunnyvale. So there's all kind. Of, the bay is extremely big. Anyway, uh, they saw a humpback whale um, feeding on anchovies in the bay. Now, 
a couple of the officials that were uh, <laughs> talking about this. Yes. I mean, if you're going to go get anchovies, you might as well go to San Francisco. The whale knows what's going on, right? That's where you go to get Italian food. You go to San Francisco. <laughs> so what was interesting, though, Wayne, this is, yeah, what was fascinating was that the, the researcher who was, they were speaking to some official person who knows about whales, he said, this whale is early. So it was like March 9th when they saw it. And he, he said <clears throat> they, they don't usually see whales in the bay until the end of April. So you're like, well, what does this have to do with calendars, Dan? Come on. What, is it? what are you talking about? What is this? But I, I, I say this to say that, 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 that nature obeys patterns. And when, they, when nature deviates from a pattern, we take notice, right? And so they notice this whale. It was unusual because he was there early, like a whale was obeying a boat schedule or something, right? But but they know the behavior of nature so well. If if you observe nature and all of its regularities, you can observe the signs and the seasons. You know that nature is saying something, and I think that all of that attests to the fact that 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 whales are smart because God designed them that way. Whales have a schedule and a cycle. And uh, so that the researchers were, were saying either the whale was lost, but the fact that he was hunting and, and, and eating anchovies says to me he, he knew exactly what he was doing. He wasn't lost. Yeah. Um, but why was he there almost two months early? Something going on with the weather pattern or the water in the Pacific, we don't know. Did he just leave to go get good food and leave the rest of his pack? But whatever the case is that nature is so regular that when things like this happen, we can go, hmm, something's going on. Right, there's there, here's yeah. a whale showing up two months early, right? He doesn't he doesn't obey calendars, but yet we do, and we recognize that the whale does seem to have a kind of sense of time or a sense of place, or he knows his direction, and it's fascinating to me because time, the way nature is created, gives us calendars. The way the sun and the moon give us repeatedly the same position every day and night can give us time. And and the way nature itself, from trees to whales to, to, to cows giving birth, there's a wonderful created regularity to nature. And then when nature is when nature is out of kilter or something unusual happens, we notice. And I think Wayne a lot of times that is that is how God works, you know. He interrupts the regularity to make us take notice, right? That that that, that is part of the way creation was created. Yeah, and Dan, I think uh, it just kind of speaks to the fact that we should live with knowledge of our surroundings and knowledge of the world we're in. Uh, We kind of get kind of a tunnel vision of thinking of our own little human routine of day-to-day and don't realize um, what's going on in nature and what's going on above us right, or around us. And you know... Who are they going to talk to when, um, when, when the heavens start? I don't know if we'll see it in our lifetime, but Jesus says there will be signs in the heavens. And, you know, when that starts to happen, who, is the, who are the mass of people? Who is CNN going to call? They're going to call astronomers, right? Because they pay attention to the sky. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's kind of a sad state of affairs to where most of us, wouldn't recognize a supernova if we saw it. Most of us wouldn't recognize something going on, something unusual going on in the heavens, you know, because we don't observe 
Uh, we don't see them. We're not regularly engaged with them. We don't use them for time. We don't even look up. You know, the tragedy that we don't know nature, you know, uh, it's it's sad. The other morning, speaking of nature, the other morning I saw there was a flock of robins in my yard. And just a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a news story on News Channel 5 here in uh, David Finbrock, um, one of our, our newsmen for NBC. I think it was him. Um, they They did a wonderful story. Have you noticed more robins in your yard? <laughs> Why, yes, I have. <laughs> Please do tell me. <laughs> Why are they here? And uh, but what 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 they said was that uh, the the people that study the birds were saying that the, the, their food source normally they're in uh, Arizona, New Mexico, more in the southwest at this time of year. But they've come a little further east because their food supply, where they have been, has been diminished for whatever reason. I don't know if it's weather related or whatever. So they're up here in Texas um, looking for their food source. And uh, so I thought that was fascinating, you know. And and if you don't notice, you don't notice this. It was like I saw, I was like, well, that's a robin? I've never seen so many robins in the yard before. What's going on? And uh, so I was noticing that, but I didn't know why, you know. But I love to be able to do that, you know. You know, going to Yosemite in May. Why do you go to Yosemite in May? Because the spring runoff from the Sierra Nevada foothills, all the all the mountains, all the water, all the snow is melting, and all the falls in the park are turned on as long as California is not in a drought. So you know you go to uh, you go to Yosemite in May to see the falls, or you know what time Old Yeller in uh, Yosemite is going off, right? Uh, not Old Yeller. What did I say? Uh, uh, Yellowstone. What did I say? Is it Old Old Faithful? Excuse old Faithful. Me, old Yeller. That's a dog, Dan. <laughs> um, old Faithful. Right. Um, but you can gather there at a time as regular as you could go to the movies, right? Here it comes. It's going to go off at this time, and whoosh, right? right? Or the Nile rises, or but but nature has such wonderful regularity. We we couldn't have time without the sun and the moon. My busy pastor brother, uh, one time said to me, he has no time, and I says, dude, God makes time. He can make time for you. Get it? You know, so I mean, seriously, he can he can stop time. Remember Joshua? He stopped time. Yeah. He can make time for you to accomplish what he has asked you to do. Uh, so he is the Lord of time. Uh, time is not relative. He has it in his hand. And so uh, I've been rambling, but I've enjoyed this conversation, Wayne. I love talking about time and nature and, of course, stars and astronomy. That's why we do Good Heavens, to uh, get people more interested in paying attention to what God has created. That's our goal here at Good Heavens, and uh, we're biased towards the universe, of course. Yes, and and Dan, um, I have on my website some notes that are based on this book, The Mystery of the Last Supper, because I've actually taught this, um, and uh, I, we can give people links to that. I also have an article about the crucifixion date on my website, so we can... Great. Um Tell people how to get more info on that. Um, I'd recommend the book. And if you want to, if you read the book before our next podcast, uh, it will probably mean more, but you don't have to. So just uh, food for thought. And it's kind of making connections between astronomy and what seems like a mundane topic of calendars and the Bible and our, our mixed-up lives, uh, all the problems in the world today, one of the problems we don't have is how do we 
figure out what day it is. Right, right. We've taken that for granted. And, um, and you know, thank you, Jesus, that we, we do know what time it is. And uh, we can schedule our lives around the fact that a lot of people who came before us uh, made time for us, right? They literally left us with a legacy of, uh, of, of time. And so time is a gift. And uh, we are grateful to be able to have it and to be able to uh, record it and uh, to know what time it is and what time of day it is. There's nothing more disorienting than waking up going, is it Tuesday? <laughs> or what time is it? Gosh, is it midnight? Or sometimes, right. <laughs> sometimes I fall asleep in my chair and I wake up and it's yeah. the calendar, the clock, it's nine. I'm like, is it nine in the morning or is it nine at night? What's going on? Um, but anyway, this has been a fascinating and probably confusing uh, episode for a lot of people, but I hope it was at least mildly entertaining. Um, and uh, but but I will put this resource about uh, the practice of ancient astronomy in our uh, in the links to the description. I'll also put a link to the book that we're talking about, Colin J. Humphreys, The Mystery of the Last Supper. Something definitely to look into. I also have another resource that I'll put in the links to the description below. It's uh, an encyclopedia of cosmologies and myth called Ancient Astronomy by Clive Ruggles. And that's also a good thing. Our ancestors, Wayne, our ancient ancestors were way more in tune with the sky and what was going on above them than we are. And I think here at Good Heavens, it's our aim to get you all to look up and enjoy and take in the wonder and the beauty of nature and of the night sky. Yes, yes. So we hope uh, at least, if nothing else, we've encouraged you to be aware, be aware, to, to look into these things and to be it's all a part of being ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. You don't have to be a super genius, um, but you should you should be appreciative of our history and of our past and and what God has done for us in in Christ and, and through creation. And uh, I'm praying this uh, year that I get a vacation somewhere in Yosemite or Grand Canyon. I want to go out and go to a national park and go stargazing. That's my hope this year uh, to get out of this coronavirus business and uh, go on a, a stargazing adventure in nature. I love going. Uh, to parks and things like that so hopefully we'll be doing that this year but Wayne next time we will be talking more about Dr. Humphrey's book and uh, Jesus's last week leading up to his uh, crucifixion and resurrection all in celebration of Easter very good yes closing thoughts Mr. Spencer keep looking up and uh, um, we're, we're going to make sense of some kind of Uh, confusing threads about the uh, last week of Christ. Sounds great, Wayne. And we will see you next time right here on Good Heavens. Good Heavens. Isaiah 40, 26 exhorts us to lift up our eyes on high and consider who made the stars. The creator of the innumerable celestial host is the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah tells us that the Lord numbers all the stars and calls each one by name. If the Lord of the universe knows the name and the number of the stars, be encouraged. He too knows where you are. This is Good Heavens, a podcast about the human side of the universe and how a deeper appreciation for the heavens can encourage and strengthen your faith in Christ. Good Heavens is a production of Watchman Fellowship Incorporated, Arlington, Texas. 
For more information on this podcast or any of the other apologetic resources from Watchman Fellowship, visit watchman.org today. Be sure to check out The Story of the Cosmos, How the Heavens Declare the Glory of God, with chapters written by both Wayne and Dan. It is a comprehensive, down-to-earth Christian defense of the cosmos, featuring essays on how the heavens have influenced science, art, philosophy, history, and theology. The Story of the Cosmos is a wonderful addition to any bookshelf or coffee table. Filled with stunning images of the heavens, high-quality gloss paper, and in-depth essays, it can be a great gift for friends, family, and non-believers interested in the intersection of science, culture, and faith. Thank you for listening to this episode of Good Heavens.